My Mother, The Person and the Patient is an original podcast written and hosted by me, Fartou Makuso. This podcast is about my mother, Timira Abdesamid Muhammad, Ayeya we call her. That's grandmother in Somali, and her great-grandchildren call her Ayeya too, and that is their way of saying great-grandmother. As I explained in the last episode, I finished the intake process with the CCAC Community Care Access Center, which is the arm of the provincial healthcare responsible for providing services within the community. I received 14 hours a week, two hours a day, one hour in the morning, one hour in the evening. And at the time, it seemed that's about all I would get through that service. And it was not anywhere near to helping me care for my mother in the home as safely as I thought I needed to. So I thought my next step would be to contact CRA when the tax time came. And uh, and I thought if at the very least I work and I could get um, tax reduction on the cost of my mother's care like I would when I had children and I was paying for their child care, then I could recoup some of the cost through my uh, work income. So when the tax time came, and I'm one of those people, I filed my own taxes, perhaps to save a couple hundred dollars um, instead of hiring an accountant, and that's maybe working against me. But anyway, when we got close to um, tax time, and I you know, had all my files, all my um, you know, receipts, the things I'd paid for my mother, all that, and I started using the software to file my taxes. And at some point, I couldn't figure out um, what form to fill out for that cost, right? So federal forms have like F now F1, F11, F whatever, and the provincial forms have um, numbers like that too. And um, over the years in filing my taxes and filing my children's taxes, I would always call CRA agents and ask them these questions. I have this expense. Where do you think it goes? What form number do I need for this and that? So, and I also figured out over the years, CRA agents offices are working and taking calls on Saturdays during the tax season. I don't know whether they start January to April or not, but I never filed my taxes early enough. We get the T4s from work sometime in February, but I'm usually filing day before or the day of the deadline. So I would plan for Saturdays, and they work Saturdays too, like I said. I would plan for Saturdays, have my TV in the background, and have my, um, you know, my tea ready and, um, and all that. And, uh, and I am, um, ready to ask them questions. So this particular year, I am filing my taxes and I have receipts for all my mother's expenses. And I say, okay, I call them and I say, if I have this receipt of somebody coming into my house and providing 
a care for my mother and I have their social insurance number, how would I file that? So um, he said, you cannot file that. And I said, what do you mean? I wanted to file it like I would file the cost of child care for my children. And he said, ma'am, those are not the same. And I said, how so? I'm paying somebody to come into my house or I'm taking my child to daycare and I'm doing the same thing for my mother. And he said, as far as the tax is concerned, you can um, use the cost of child care against your earned income, but you cannot do the same thing for your mother. And I said, that makes no sense. And he says, ma'am, I don't make the legislations. I don't write the tax code, but I'm telling you what's on here. You cannot, there is no way for you to file that the way you're trying to file it, right? But he said, if your mother lived somewhere else, if your mother lived in a nursing home or her own place and you were paying somebody there, then you could claim that nursing home cost as part of your cost. But when she's living in your house, you cannot claim that. But what you need to do first is you need to file forms that show your mother is unable to provide her own care, to meet her own basic personal needs and deemed to be disabled in that way. And her doctor attests to that and says, yes, this woman has this and this. And then you can send those forms to CRA. Somebody at our end will review the forms and once those forms are deemed to have met the requirements for your mother to be disabled and needing of your care, we will send you a letter telling you how you can claim if you uh, bought a wheelchair for your mother, if you bought a hospital bed for your mother, if you have to remodel your house. Um, and make sure she can get in and out of the bathroom, in and out of the kitchen. You have to put a lift in your house, things like that. You get about, I think, any given year is different, but at one year you were getting 15% back, not the entire amount you put in. You get 15% back, 18% back, something like that. He said you could claim that. And then also you could claim the basic stuff like um, prescription copay, medications that are not covered um, under under her plan. Um, if she goes to the dentist and that's not covered, if she has to get glasses and that's not covered, those and you pay those out of pocket, you could claim those. If you're buying her a diaper incontinent product, if she gets to that stage and you buy that for her, then you will be able to claim those. And on top of that, he said, you could get what's called caregiver amount, right? That caregiver amount at one point was 3500 and then it moved to 5000 I think. But that is a blanket caregiver amount that everybody gets. It. And that depends on whatever little income my mother has. And that's what decides how much of that and how little of that you get. And that's all you get. And then I said, okay, where are the forms? I grabbed the forms 
And of course, I couldn't use the credit caregiver amount credit that year because I didn't have the forms registered with CRA. They have to be registered with CRA. I took the forms to her doctor and um, after a while, the doctor had to assess her, make sure that he's putting on the forms what he sees a medically appropriate information. And it took me, as you can see, meeting with the doctor, getting the forms, having him assess my mother. Took me a couple of months and then I sent it to um, CRA and it took CRA about, I think maybe it was eight months or nine months later. Basically, I missed the following tax year. It was the third tax year when I first inquired that I was able to get that information given to me so I could get the credit. Okay, so you just have to think about this in the way I'm thinking about it, that I am not getting dollar for dollar of the things, the, the care I'm providing for my mother as a tax exemption or tax credit. But if my mother was in a nursing home, I would get that money. I would be able to claim that money. That really made no sense to me. And it's almost... I'm not getting the incentive to keep my mother at home. The idea is I would get more incentive if I put my mother in a home, right? So that's that's the message I am getting from the from the intake information from the CCAC um, worker and dealing with CRA, trying to get credit for the cost expenses because the idea is for CRA if I am earning money I'm bringing x amount of dollars and I'm spending x amount of dollars on something that I couldn't really do without right I couldn't really do without having somebody to be in my home watching my mother I couldn't do that and but but I'm not getting that expense to be claimed. So if I end up paying, um, you know, seven hundred dollars a month, that is eight thousand four hundred for the year for the twelve months, right? So if I only get thirty five hundred, that's five thousand dollars, and that doesn't include me getting hiring somebody to come into my house for a couple hours a night so I can get a break. That doesn't include if I needed to be away for a weekend so I could have somebody come in and watch my uh, my mother. It doesn't include that either. So those were the challenges, but I got that little bit of credit from CRA. And I had the 14 hours a week from the CCAC. And at the time being, that's what I had to live with. But the battle continued. When you listen to how we arrived at my mother's diagnosis and what followed, it's so easy to see her just as the patient, to see her as nothing more than the disease that reduced her to shell of her old self. But I want also to tell you about my mother, the person, the fierce woman that told her stories unapologetically, celebrating the beautiful parts and harsh realities equally. I want to share with you the stories she told us about her life as a girl growing up in a small village, the tales that marked her adulthood, 
I want to share with you all her losses and the ultimate winnings. Following is one of those stories reconstructed from my childhood memory. The court, a small circle on a dusty ground west of the market, was filled with people when Timira, her father, and brother approached. People stepped aside to let them through, unimpeded they moved closer, holding on to each other. Eight feet in diameter, the space around them remained empty, gaping with the curse that befell on them. No one dared to come anywhere near them lest they contract the evil that oozed out of Timur's family. The entire city must have been there because the place teemed with people. Even the market vendors stopped by to and from to listen. Most only stayed until they picked up something to deliver on their way to their businesses, far for the day's gossip. The judge sat on a tall wooden stool at the mouth of the circle. There were three people on either side of the judge sitting on a stool shorter than his. Accused, a woman and her son sat directly across from the judge on two shorter stools. To see them, the judge would have to look down on them. The seating seemed to create a power formation. The judge, most powerful, sat on the highest seat, while the mother and her son, the accused, were on the lowest. A man, the right of the judge, stood up. The prosecutor calls the first witness. He beckoned the woman from the other side. State your full name for the court. The man ordered the woman as soon as she sat down on the stool right in the center. How is it? How did you know these people? They are my neighbors. How do you know they had kidnapped the child? That man told me. She pointed at a young boy, one of the three men to the left of the judge. He wasn't a man, really, but a boy, thin and wiry. Even though Timira didn't see his face partly covered by his shawl, it was obvious to her he didn't want to be there. The way his shoulders shook as the woman's finger landed on him. What did he say? The questions from the prosecutor man came with a fiery quickness. Tell us exactly what happened. I'd asked him if he was able to find any work because my husband had been looking for a long time with no luck. The woman didn't look up as she relayed her story. Her words were void of emotions. I told him we had no money to buy food and my children were hungry. The boy lifted his head up, locked gaze with the woman and looked away from her as quickly. Continue. The prosecutor man said. He said he was hungry too and could find no work. And the prosecutor grew impatient with the woman. What happened after that? He said he was the only one in his family that was hungry. She looked from the boy to the mother and back again. That's when he told me. Told you what exactly? The prosecutor took two steps toward the woman, stopped, and turned around and stepped away from her. 
He said his mother and brother stole a child from a family in the camp. You mean kidnapped? The prosecutor man asked. He said that's what they ate, but he didn't eat it. Timira's father gasped and scooped Timira and Farah in his arms to shield them from the horror of her words. But he didn't have enough time to protect them. The statement that her brother was not only killed but was eaten landed on Timira like a wooden club, a great tragedy, one even her father wasn't prepared to hear. Yet, it took you two days to tell anyone? I didn't believe him, the woman said. I mean, people don't eat children. Is that the only reason? I was scared, too. The woman rocked herself back and forth. I have a little one, the same age as the one day. Her eyes went directly to the accused. But my husband made me tell it. He wouldn't leave me in peace until I told, dragged me to the station. Thank you. The prosecutor said, even though he didn't sound grateful for her testimony. By the time the boy the woman identified, identical in appearance to the one on the shackles took the stool vacated by her, the crowd grew even bigger. What is your relationship to them? Prosecutor pointed at the accused, but they didn't return his gaze. That's my mother and brother, the boy spoke, his voice quiet. What do you know about their crime? Their crime? The boy's words echoed. I don't know anything about that. He grew quiet a second or two. The silence pulsed in Timur's ears. How about the child they kidnapped? I didn't see a child. I saw what was left of him. His voice came in a whisper. What did you say? I saw what remained of him the next morning. A cry came from behind Timira and her family and traveled throughout the circle. It was not until she looked up that she realized it was her father that cried out. How did you know? The prosecutor asked. I saw the hands and the feet and asked them if those belonged to the missing boy. Did they admit to it? No, they didn't. They asked me if I wanted some meat, but I told them no. Did they admit to kidnapping and killing the missing child? The prosecutor spoke in a loud, demanding voice. They didn't deny it, the boy said. I wish you didn't have to come. That's how her father started each morning, and he meant it. The details were repeated after each witness. The woman that reported them, and the young man, a son, and a brother of the two. The questions didn't change. Only the person sitting on the stool was different. I'm ready to go, Timira announced each morning. Her mother had always struggled to wake her up in the morning. But since her death, Timira lost the need to stay in bed. Lying on the mat next to where her mother used to sleep evaporated her desire for rest. If we leave now, we could sit before the others come in. She extended one hand to her father and another to Farah. 
They saw a crowd of people waiting for them at the front of the camp. There were only a few dozen on the first day. By the morning of the second day, the crowd had doubled in size, as if a notice of their departure time had been announced the night before. Most of them walked from their homes close to the market and waited until Timiro and her family emerged. No one said a word. There were no greetings shared. They didn't ask how they passed the night. Like they were instructed on how to behave, they stepped aside at once and let them through. Timira didn't look back. And the only way she knew they were there was the sound of their hushed footsteps, the silence heavy, a funeral procession. The court proceedings lasted for three days. The entire city waited for the end with a profound excitement. For Timiro, the process moved at a slow, monotonous pace to the point of tediousness. The trial was a spectacle for everyone in town. People came to hear the horror that never happened here before and will likely never happen again. Children skipped their lessons and ran away from their chores in search of the scary story, something they could never find in their books, something they could tell their friends. The adults left their market stalls. Both the sellers and buyers postponed work to come and watch. This was a tale they would tell their children's children the story of the evil curse that happened to a family from a village once upon a time. Day three was the hardest. It rained the night before and the air pulsed with the clean smell of rain. The aroma of fresh mangoes, bananas and citrus didn't make Timiris mouth water as it had been when she'd gone to the market with her mother. The two officers that arrested the accused were due to testify that day, and the crowd was thicker than it was on the two previous days. No one said a word as the prosecutor pointed to the witness stool. Please take a seat. What's your name? He asked as soon as the man sat on the stool. I am Detective Ahmed Hassan, the officer replied. Unlike the two witnesses before him, this man sat tall and erect. He wasn't wearing the freshly ironed khaki police uniform he was in the first day when he came to the camp to question her father about the missing child. Now, he was in a long-sleeved checkered shirt and khaki pants. The first day he had on heavy boots, but today he was in a black leather shoes. Despite the muddy brown earth that clung to all the other people's shoes, his shone with a recent polish, perhaps for the occasion. Could you tell us what happened on the sixth day of Sha'ban? We received information regarding the whereabouts of a missing child. He stopped here and scanned the area around him as if beckoning the crowd's attention. No murmurs, no whispers. The oppressive silence continued. What, if anything, did you find once you arrived at the said location? Prosecutor's question came scripted, done only for the procedural purpose. 
The slowness of his words irritated Timira. She wanted him to get to the point of his questions and end her family's nightmare. She needed an answer to the why and what her family's freedom to get out of this awful city depended on it. They knew the who. The two never denied snatching Isaac out of her father's bosom. She didn't care about the how, but the why. That camp was filled with families with children of varying ages. Why not them? Unless the curse everyone spoke about was true and her family was getting punished for a sin she could name. They needed answers to what ailed them. We found remains of the boy. A unanimous gasp rang through the crowd, shattering the silence that preceded it. How sad, a woman right behind Timiro said, but Timiro didn't turn around to see, for she didn't need sympathy. Timiro knew others in the crowd couldn't empathize with her, because what happened to her family was beyond sad. Others agreed with the woman by emitting loud sighs. In the house where the accused lived, the officer's eyes landed on the mother and her son sitting across from him. They didn't return his gaze. Still, he lingered on them for a few more seconds before continuing. That's where we found him. His eyes went to Timira's father's face as if by instinct. Another collective gasp came from behind the family this one much louder than the one before it, and it continued to echo long after the sound ceased. They kept his remains after they killed him? Yes. We found the evidence near their cooking fire. Timiro reminded herself to breathe. The only energy left in her, she used it to inhale and exhale to hold on to her father and brother as her anchors, the only fixture keeping her grounded so she didn't float away. In her tightening grip, her father tensed. How did he know that to be the missing child? His father identified him by the beaded bracelet on his wrists, the officer said, and his mother told us a birthmark on his wrist. We only found his feet and hands. The answer shocked Timiro. That must have been what her mother saw that let her issue that loud yelp. The only sound of her that Timiro remembered. Sometimes at night and alone with her thoughts, her hands on the empty mat where her mother once slept, she tried to recall her voice. Her laughter in happier times, before they left the village, before they lost Isaac, before her mother decided to leave Timiro behind. But all she could hear, no matter how many times and how hard she tried, was that yelp, awake or asleep, or anything in between. Only the gasp remained in her ears. And that's when Farah burst into tears for the first time. And Timira and her father weren't far behind. They sobbed loud and long among strangers. 
those that didn't know them beyond their tragedy. My mother, the person and the patient, can be found in all your podcast streaming apps or head to my website for tumacuso.com to listen to the entire season. Please do not forget to listen, like, share, and follow. And join me next week as I share with you another episode of my mother's journey as both the person and the patient. Thank you.